BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Welcome back to Birdland tonight. We've got some lovely totals tonight. I'm Ryan Blake. That's Michael Vetter. Michael, the Orioles are in the win column again. Does two games count as a winning streak? Hey, you know, I'll take it. Any rebuilding year, that's a streak for me. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we we won three in a row against Boston to start off the year, and now Boston's ten and four. So that looks that looks pretty good for us, I'd say. Of course, we weren't able to come through against them last time we played at Camden Yards, but hey, we started off the season on a good note. I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, they've looked really hot, 10-1 and one since we last played them. And yeah, I actually told my best friend who's a Red Sox fan, I'm going to be rooting for the Red Sox after we swept them so that we would look good. And well, it looks like I rooted a little too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I think they'll come back to earth eventually, but that, that offense is pretty special. But yeah. speaking of offense, the Orioles' bats woke up in the last couple innings. Uh, Orioles with the 6-1 to one victory. Uh, the story of tonight, uh, I, I, I messaged you yesterday because I knew we were doing the postgame show together. And I said, get ready to talk about Dean Kramer's cutter. And then Dean, Dean Kramer came out tonight and he threw just four cutters out of his 79 pitches. He relied very, very heavily on his fastball and curveball. What did you see from Kramer tonight that you liked? Well, I mean, talking about his fastball, you know, it definitely has some solid speed around 94, can go up to around 95. Um, but I think the reason why he didn't necessarily use his cutter so much is there's actually quite a bit of horizontal movement on his fastball. Um, you know, if you look at the advanced stats, it's actually quite well above average um, in terms of horizontal movement compared to other pitchers' fastballs. So, yeah, if you're throwing at 94 and you can locate, I mean, how many times did he hit that, you know, when it's a left-handed batter, the inside corner, or the right-handed batter, the outside bottom-hand corner? Um, because the ump was calling that all night. He kept hitting that spot. And, you know, sometimes he would miss and fall behind against batters. But I think that's why he kept throwing it, because he felt that he could command it. And it really worked well off of his curveball, kind of like how uh, Tyler Glass now pitches. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned getting those calls at the bottom of the strike zone, and, and that certainly came in handy against Joey Gallo in that fourth inning. And I do want to yeah. talk about that fourth inning because that's where Kramer ran into a little bit of trouble. He's had some trouble the, sec- the second and third time through the order. Of course, this year he hasn't mm-hmm. really gotten to the third time through the order uh, too often. Uh, but uh, he came into tonight averaging 23.2 pitches per inning, which was second in the league. That's not exactly what you want to see. A big problem with him has been getting ahead of batters. But you mentioned uh, getting those strikes low in the zone. That was consistent throughout the night. And it's a big thing with umpires. If you're going to have a little bit of an expanded strike zone, that's fine. But keep it consistent. And the home plate umpire sure did tonight. But that at bat to Gallo, he falls behind 3-1. He was falling behind a lot of batters, especially in that inning. Uh, the only guy he didn't fall behind was David Dahl, who uh, hit the RBI single for the Rangers. But um, Kramer was able to to get that strike two call in the 3-1 pitch. Gallo thought was a little bit low, yeah. but then he, mm-hmm. he climbed the ladder and got him to strike out. And that really, even though the Rangers were able to score a run, that really helped limit the damage in that inning. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, as you said, they were still able to score and get two pretty solid singles after that. Um, but yeah, I, I, that was really electric the way he located that fastball and knew, as you said, the umpire was consistently calling those low strikes. Um, and that was just a great feeling to see him strike out by far the best hitter on the Rangers, in my opinion, in Joey Gallo. And yeah, after those two singles and they were able to score a run, um, you know, he didn't give up the big hit, the huge hit. He could have given up a three-run homer. Instead, he gets them to hit a ball on the ground by again pitching low. And he lets his defense do the work with, you know, an amazing play that better be on SportsCenter's top 10, let alone maybe the top play of the night uh, with Galvis reaching over and throwing it over to Ruiz, who caught it barehanded and then tossed it to Mountcastle for a nice stretch. So that was just a great inning to see, even though we started losing. Yeah, how about that slick play by Galvis? I was I was following that one on my phone. I was driving home from work. I was luckily able to watch a little bit uh, at work. I missed a little bit of the beginning of the game, but yeah, that was that was a really nice double play. And how about Rio at second base with the nice turn, catches the the flip barehanded from from Galvis and makes a strong throw to first to complete the double play. Rio's looks pretty comfortable at second base, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, ever since opening day, at least the Fenway opening day, where he made a couple of the you know running backwards catches, the Willie Mays s catches. Yeah, I think he's he's looked great at second base. And ever since he was a prospect um, with the Braves when he was originally drafted, he was always supposed to be a plus defender. And in some ways, second base is actually a lot easier than third base. So I think it kind of makes sense. He's a natural athlete, natural player. So, yeah, it's it's been great to see his defense, at least so far. Yeah, we'll, we'll get back to the defense in a minute, but I do want to talk about uh, Kramer a little bit more. And I, I think this is sure. Josh commenting from the, the Birdland Sports page. Uh, Kramer was pulled after striking out two straight batters uh, in favor of Wade LeBlanc. Uh, he was through four and two thirds innings, not quite enough to qualify for the win, although the Orioles were trailing at the time, unfortunately. Um, but uh, 79 pitches. Do you think uh, Hyde pulled the plug a little bit early on, on Kramer tonight? I mean, so if we're trying to win 100 games this year and, you know, trying to preserve the bullpen at all costs, not send people down, send people up, yeah, I could definitely see why that decision could give us some grief, right? (laughs) But I had to throw that one up there. Continue. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you think about it, he had just struck out two guys looking, right? Which is great, you know, a great way to go out of the game. And he looked like he could have kept going. But we need to avoid injuries to our young starters at all costs. Just think about Chris Tillman, all those guys in the past who got ruined by injuries. And he was about to go through his third time through the order. And like you said, 
He hasn't had the chance to do that so far this year. And all the analytics really say the third time a guy gets to look at you, he hits you way better. So I can definitely see the analytics behind the decision. And it's April. I, I definitely want to see him pushing guys further as we get farther into the season. And Paul and Joe talked about that last night on Birdland tonight, too. Yeah, and and with with Kramer in particular, you know, it's you you want to see him be able to work a little bit deeper into games. He showed us last year that that he could do that a little bit with you know a couple strong starts against the Yankees, especially. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it's it's important to keep guys healthy as as you start the year, especially coming off a season when these guys didn't have any real game time. Um, of course, you know, Kramer had uh, opportunities here and there, but. Um, you know, finally getting back to a full slate of games, you got to keep these guys healthy. And I, I think that's what Hyde is trying to do. But like you said, I think as the season progresses, it'll be important to have these guys go deeper into games. Uh, but that's speaking cool. of going, uh, you know, deeper into the games, uh, the bullpen was strong tonight. We got uh, four and a third scoreless innings tonight from the combination of Wade LeBlanc, Travis Lake and senior Tanner Scott. And Sean, Sean Armstrong came on for what, for some reason, I saw him come in and I was thinking, why is Sean Armstrong on for the save? And then I remembered that Michael Franco had just hit a two-run homer to give us yeah. a five-run cushion. So it was no longer a safe situation. But uh, the bullpen, uh, Michael, was really solid tonight. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure um, Masson put up a stat that we our bullpen hasn't given up a run since Tanner Scott gave up that two-run homer in the first game of the doubleheader on um, Thursday. So, yeah, I mean, they've looked great so far. And actually, if you look at the stats from last year, both the actual standard statistics like ERA and the advanced statistics, we, we had a very solid bullpen in 2020. Um, and, yeah, you look at the arms, there's really a lot of action going on there. Of course, there's Valdez with the dead fish changeup. But Scott comes in with the electricity and the slider. Armstrong, as you were just talking about, actually has some great stuff. Um, Lakins has some solid velocity. LeBlanc, you know, he just knows how to work the strike zone. You know, we just have a lot of guys who are actually really encouraging. And Fry was actually the best in terms of advanced stats last year. So I think that's definitely a positive in strength of the team. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Fry off to a little bit of a, a slow start this spring, but the, the last few outings has really seemed to put it together a little bit. Like you said, a, a, a really good peripheral stats uh, based on what he did last season. Uh, and and one thing I noticed, especially with, with Travis Lakins, uh, a couple days ago, he came in and I, I couldn't remember him being able to spin a curveball the way he was. And uh, mm -hmm. so he's he's certainly a guy to, to keep an eye on. Uh, didn't make the team out of spring training, but uh, has found his opportunity back on the roster and, and it's exciting to see. Uh, now, Madison here brings up a good point. It is a conundrum in a one nothing game. You don't see the starter taken out very often. You know, one nothing game generally means your starter's pitching pretty well. Uh, but we've talked about Kramer uh, entering the third time through the order. It's a situation which uh, last year he actually was was better the second and third time through the order. Masson showed a graphic mm -hmm. on that uh, tonight. Uh, but but this year he has really struggled after that first time through the order. Uh, but like Madison says here, I get where Hyde is coming from. You know, we've we've talked about injuries. We've talked about wanting to stretch guys out a little bit. And and I'm sure as the season goes on, uh, we'll start to see a little more confidence in in the starter to to get out of those jams as, as the game progresses. But it, like like we've talked about, it was big tonight to see the bullpen come through for us as they have the last few games. Now yeah. back on the defensive side, we've talked about Rio. Uh, he's looked good at second base tonight. Was Ryan Mountcastle's first start of the year over at first base, uh, giving uh, Mancini a night on the bench to DH. Santander, Mullins, and DJ Stewart 
in the outfield from right to left. Do you think we'll see more of Mountcastle at first base as the season goes on, especially if DJ Stewart keeps hitting the way he has? Yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly tough to see him with the spot in the outfield, right? And I honestly think the combination that makes the most sense is switching between him and Mancini at first base. Um, but there, there's definitely a lot to consider here. Um, first off, it depends on what their plan is with Mancini long-term. Do they want to use him as a trade piece or do they want him to keep developing um, defensively to be our first baseman for the permanent future? Um, because he's definitely a great first baseman. I think for the, for, through the first week of the season, he was actually one of the highest outs above average guys on uh, baseball savant, which is really incredible for a first baseman. So I definitely think he's a better fit at the position, but Mountcastle is the guy we have for five or six more years. So, you know, he definitely has the ability to play the position uh, on that double play we were talking about. As I said before, he made a great stretch um, and he definitely has the, you know, athleticism to play, but he is also very fast. So if he could just somehow find a way to learn how to play the outfield better and improve his arm, I would like to see him somewhere else other than first base. Um, and as I said, it's a loaded question. I don't really have a straight up answer for you, but I definitely think it's a heated competition between balancing the future. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And the short term um, with him at first base versus Mancini. Yeah, and especially when Austin Hayes comes back from injury, uh, yeah. we, we're, we're going to want to see him in the outfield a little bit more. And, and Mountcastle's defense out there, just to put it bluntly, has not been good. And it's it's not up to par with with the standards that I think this organi organization yeah. sets on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but you mentioned Trey Mancini a little bit in that first base rotation. Let's talk about his bat a little bit. Uh, he's he's had trouble getting the ball off the ground. He's hit into a bunch of double plays. Uh, I will say it's hard to hit into a double play when for the first seven innings of the game, the first two batters in the lineup are, are retired, uh, which is what happened tonight with the Orioles. And Trey had an opportunity to hit into another double play tonight in the eighth inning. In fact, I wore my 6-4-3 equals 2 double play shirt for Trey tonight. Uh, but he okay. came through. He got, uh, he got a little bit of loft on the ball, hit a line drive into left field for a go-ahead double. Uh, Michael, I know you have some numbers about, about Mancini and his, his seeming inability to get the ball off the ground, but it seems to me like when he's put the ball in the air this year, it's been smoked. Yeah. So, I mean, he has a 50% hard hit rate on the season, at least coming into this game, which is honestly insane. I mean, think about going into a major league game and half the time hitting it about 90 miles an hour or harder. Um, so yeah, he hasn't been completely lost at the plate, but his average launch angle before this game was 6.9%. So as you said, you know, your eyes aren't lying to you. He's really been hitting it on the ground. Um, and yeah, he's had some electric home runs like he had against the Red Sox um, with the back-to-back -back with Santander, the one he hit the other day against the Mariners. Um, but he's also been chasing a lot with 36% chase rate. And I think that kind of gives you the tendency to hit it into the ground, especially if you're going into a lot of two-strikes counts and you have to defend. Even if you're getting solid contact, you're just more likely to choke up a little bit and just have that kind of go down at the ball approach. At least that's what my coach has always taught me. So 
I think it's just been great um, for him to be a little bit more relaxed. I think being a DH today and having the off day with those double headers has maybe just helped him mentally relax a little bit more and really be able to sit back, you know, get his hips rotated in behind the ball, um, not swing with an uppercut, but really keep his bat in the zone for a long time. And yeah, I mean, I think he looks great. I'm, I'm really not worried about him. And in terms of expected Woba, he's actually the highest among our qualified starters. So I think it's going to be a great comeback story season for him. And uh, yeah, he just needs to get the ball in the air as he did with that extremely clutch double. And that was just great to see. Yeah, that was that was big. Uh, and, and the Orioles were able to get some hard hit balls out there tonight. Their expected batting average on the night was 311, which is, is better than I've seen in recent games. Uh, but they had some trouble with with starting pitcher Dane Dunning uh, for a team that that struggles to hit the ball uh, hard in the air. Sometimes uh, going up against a sinker baller is not exactly a recipe for success. And unfortunately, we saw with with Dane Dunning tonight, his ability to to get the first couple uh, Orioles out in, in each inning that he faced. Uh, and with with Dunning and Justin Dunn the other day, if if the starting pitcher has D-U-N-N in their last name, the Orioles offense is D-O-N-E. And I really hope someone out there laughed at that joke because I thought of it before the show and I've been sitting on it for the last 19 minutes. So I hope you enjoyed my, my awful pun there. Uh, but the Orioles were finally able to start hitting some balls in the air and hitting them hard, uh, especially in that eighth and ninth inning. Uh, the bats finally started to come alive, Michael. Yeah, and I mean... We were talking about the low strike zone, right? How unfortunate is it to go up to the plate with an umpire who's calling low strikes against a sinker baller? Um, and, you know, that's what they had to face today. But they actually had nine hard hits off of Dunning before he came out of the game. And he somehow managed to not give up a run. But, yeah, a few of those were actually base hits, you know, singles. But for the most part, they were really hit hard on the ground. Um, I think Santander had a couple of those. Galvis was really the only one who put it in the air a couple of times. So, yeah, they were able to hit him hard because he wasn't even throwing that hard. They were able to see the ball well, but it was just so low in the strike zone that they couldn't really get, you know, their whole legs behind it and really lift it into the air. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's a great pitcher, honestly, and I can't believe they got him rather easily from the White Sox. I mean, who also have a ton of great pitchers. But, yeah, I think he has a very exciting future ahead of him. Yeah, I, I do too. Now let's talk about Freddie Galvis a little bit. Four more right. hits tonight. He goes four for four. Uh, six hits now in the series. Just when he was about to hit uh, a 100 batting average, he was he was one out away. He was three for 29 on the season. One more out would have been three for 30. That's a 100 batting average. And I had a fantastic tweet ready to go. And then he he comes along and hits an RBI single in a, a few nights ago. I I don't remember the exact situation, but I know it was late in the game and it was important RBI single. Uh, and now Gal Galvis all of a sudden starting to heat up, has the third highest OPS out of all the uh, Orioles starters in the lineup tonight, which was pretty much our regular rotation. Uh, mm -hmm. what it, how important is it for Galvis's bat to come around? You know, we signed him for his defense to replace Jose Iglesias, who had a career year offensively last year. Galvis in the past hasn't been a slouch at the plate. He's not, you know, anything exceptional, but it's. I think it's going to be important for for his offense to start coming around. And he showed us on the defensive side of the ball that he's going to bring value regardless. So it's it's exciting to see him finally start to turn a corner after a slow start to the season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first off, just having someone who's a switch hitter towards the end of the lineup really balances your whole lineup out, um, gives Brandon Hyde a lot of flexibility. And yeah, just really makes it a bit more dangerous so the pitcher can't just lose focus towards the end of the game or towards the end of the lineup each time he goes around. 
because really at first Galvis just looked completely lost. But now his approach at the plate looks fantastic. He's really sitting on the ball, letting it come to him. Um, and yeah, he's really been electric ever since the first game of that uh, doubleheader on Thursday. And that RBI single that he had was actually the last game uh, I covered. So I, I thought that was going to be a great winning hit, but unfortunately not. The Red Sox came back to win. But yeah, I think it really just adds so much to our lineup. And yeah, his, defensively, although he made a few errors this year, he's been well above average his whole career. And yeah, he's always just been one of those guys I always liked. He just always seemed to show up, not really get hurt, be a little below average offensively. But, you know, as a shortstop who's providing plus defense, I'll take that all day. And right now he's heating up. He was 9% in terms of hard hit rate before the game, I believe. And, you know, now he's definitely way higher after having three hard hits today. So I'm excited about what he's doing. Four for four. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And and this is a good point brought up here in the, mm -hmm. in the comment section that, uh, you know, I, I, I was guilty of this too. I was starting to think, you know, is Richie Martin the, the, the next man up or is there another shortstop? You know, is it Ryland Bannon time? Uh, is it, you know, Mason McCoy it was, is he going to get a chance? But <laughs> yeah, I was, I was starting to wonder about Galvis as well. You know, is, is he next to get the Yomer Sanchez treatment? Of course, Yomer, we didn't even get to see play in the regular season. Uh, and, and was, was designated for assignment before the season started. And I, yeah, I admit, I was thinking that Galvis might be next in line when he was, when he was in that slump. Uh, and you know, his batting average was pushing a hundred, but now he's, he's up well over 200. And like I said, the OPS is, is third on the team as of now. And uh, it's it's exciting to see for sure. Yeah, and Yomer Sanchez is a really great comparison because, you know, he's someone who isn't part of our long-term plan. So if they got rid of him, you know, it wouldn't really hurt our future that much. So they would almost feel obligated to give him up if he's not even performing to an MLB level. And yeah, it's just really funny how things can change so quickly. I remember on Thursday, Josh and... Um, who and Matt, I think, were calling for Richie Martin to be called up, or it was uh, uh, Josh and Cody were calling for Richie Martin to be called up. And yeah, I mean, I think Richie Martin has a lot of ability, but Galvis has really just shown, you know, he's actually a solid major league level player. He just needed to get his approach at the plate fixed and uh, yeah, really just figure himself out, go back to his old self, even though he's over 30 and that can be a time of decline. I think he's just shown too much over the years to give up on him already. Yeah, and as the only true uh, shortstop on the major league yeah. roster at this moment, it's it's definitely important for his bat to come around. Like I said, four hits again tonight. Now six uh, six for seven in this series. Very exciting to see from Freddie Galvis. Now, before I uh, preview tomorrow's game, did you have anything else you wanted to add from tonight? Uh, no, not specifically. I just think you know it was really great to see. Uh, we didn't even talk about Franco's awesome opposite field homer, which was just a great approach. And what actually one note that I wanted to add is every single Oriole who started tonight uh, had a hard hit as qualified by baseball savant. So that's just great to see after our bats were so quiet for so long. And speaking of hard hits, one thing I forgot to mention earlier, uh, Nate Lau's leadoff single in the fourth inning was the only ball hit with a an exit velocity mm -hmm. over 100 miles per hour off of Dean Kramer tonight. And that, like I said, was a leadoff single, and that was 100.4 miles per hour off the bat. So uh, a big recipe for Kramer's success tonight was his ability to limit the hard contact. We saw him go uh, almost five pretty strong innings, ran into trouble there in the fourth, like we said. But overall, solid outing from Kramer. Good to see the bats come alive near the end of the game. 
And, uh, and hopefully this is a little bit of a spark plug that the Orioles need. Now, uh, tomorrow, the Orioles will go for the sweep in their first ever trip to Globe Life Field. It'll be the ace John Means on the mound versus Kyle Gibson, who I'm pretty sure is the most commonly streamed pitcher in my uh, Dynasty Baseball <laughs> League over the past three seasons. Uh, first pitch at 235. Josh Soroka and somebody else, hopefully, on the call here at Birdland tonight. Thank you all for tuning in to tonight's postgame show. For Michael Vetter, I'm Ryan Blake. Uh, we hope you continue tuning in. Tell your friends. Subscribe to our podcast. Every episode is available the next morning uh, on Birdland tonight. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, and uh, and we'll be here with you every single game at the end of the game. And uh, I don't know about you, Michael, but so far I've had a blast doing this. Oh, yeah. It's just been fantastic. And, yeah, it's just great to have the interaction. I love seeing all the comments here, especially comments from Twitch, uh, which is personally my favorite streaming platform. And, yeah, definitely follow Ryan and I on Twitter. Uh, we're always talking about the Orioles, and we love the team. And, yeah, just thanks for hosting, and uh, thanks for a great show, Ryan. Yeah, well, our, our handles are right here in our in our name yep. tags. So go ahead and I'd, I'd like to think we're good follows. I will we'll let you be be the judge of that. But like Michael yeah. said, it's it's always <laughs> cool to see the comments rolling in, and we certainly hope that continues as the show continues to grow. And uh, we hope to be your go-to for uh, for Orioles post-game analysis. So yeah, again, for, tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Absolutely. I texted a couple of my buddies tonight and, and told them to tune in. I didn't see them in the comment section. I'm a little disappointed, but uh, I'll, I'll have to shoot them a message afterward and uh, and let okay. them know to be a little more interactive next time. They're shy. Uh, it's okay. That's all right. For Michael Vetter again, I'm Ryan Blake. Thank you for watching at Birdland tonight. We'll see you next. We'll see you tomorrow.